This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are on the planet. My guest today is Dr. Grégoire Ribordi. He's the co-founder and CEO of ID Quantique. Dr. Ribordi has 25 years of experience in various R&D and management roles in the field of optical measurements and communication systems. He founded ID Quantique in 2001 and has managed the company since then. Prior to this, he was a research fellow at the Group of Applied Physics of the University of Geneva between 1997 and 2001, and in this position, he actively developed quantum cryptography technology and holds several patents in the field. In 2018, Dr. Ribody was selected as a Swiss digital shaper, leading digitalization in Switzerland. His company, ID Quantique, is a global company with offices and engineering labs in Geneva, Seoul, and Boston. IDQ makes organizations ready for a quantum-safe future by providing quantum key distribution and quantum-safe key management solutions, along with quantum random number generators and single photon counters. So welcome, Gregoire. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Delighted you're here. I always like to start the podcast by asking my guest to share a bit about their own personal quantum journey. My objective is twofold. I want you to give our audience you know, more detail around what you did before you founded IDQ, but also to orient our listeners more broadly to the fact that there are many ways and various paths that people have taken to get into the field of quantum information science. So if you could please share with our listeners a little bit about your background and your path so far, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, what you studied, any insight into the companies or organizations where you worked or did research. So, so I'm joining you today from Geneva, Switzerland, and that's actually where I grew up. I went to uh, university to EPFL in Switzerland, and I, I studied physics uh, there. Um, and then I worked for a year in Japan, uh, still in the field of optics. I worked for a company called Nikon, the camera company. Came back to Switzerland, that was the mid-90s, uh, and I joined the group of applied physics at the University of Geneva. And uh, in this group, at the time, you know, we didn't talk about quantum technologies. It was quantum optics or quantum science. So I joined the, the group, and they had an activity on quantum cryptography. And I was actually the second PhD student to work on, on, the, on the topic of quantum cryptography uh, in the late 90s and did that. And uh, at the end of my PhD, we had a working prototype, and we decided to start IDQ. Wow, fantastic. Now, thank you. What a great story. Um, so the segue is... You know, in preparing for our podcast session, I was quite surprised to discover you founded the company over 20 years ago, in 2001, right? Certainly way before the issue of quantum safe solutions in, you know, enterprise or industry applications was being discussed. So what led you to found IDQ? Was there like an aha moment uh, in the lab or conversation in a coffee shop with somebody? Or And what, well, more importantly, yeah. what led you to realize this would be an important technology and represented a market opportunity? You know, actually, I think there were two two main factors. Um, the first one was that there was actually one of the very first quantum technology companies called Magic Technologies, hmm. which was founded in you know just before 2000 in in Boston. And um, at some point, they went around the world and they wanted to license 
quantum cryptography or QKD technology from, from the leading universities. And one day they came to Geneva and they, they asked uh, our group, you know, do you want to, to work with us and, and, and develop a QKD product? And we, we thought about it with my, my co-founders for a while. And, uh, you know, after a while we said, well, why don't we do it uh, just on our own? You know, why, why should we do it with, uh, with another company from far away where we would not really control our destiny? And uh, so, but somehow they showed us that it was possible to do that. And, and the second thing is that I had the, the great honor to work in the group of Professor Nicolas Gisin. He was my PhD advisor. And for him, you know, everything was possible. And so he said, why not? And he really supported me and it, when I told him for the first time that I was interested to do this. Terrific. Yeah, and do it, uh, do it where you are. I never heard of that company in Boston. I'll have to do some research or maybe we'll put a link in the comments when we publish. So as we're talking about quantum safe solutions, I want to start kind of with a macro high-level discussion around QKD and PQC. Um, as we know, much of the data that travels across today's public and private networks is sensitive in nature and potentially exposed to what's being called the harvest now, decrypt later attacks, right? So can you share with our listeners broadly what the difference is between QKD and PQC and what each one offers in terms of providing part of a quantum safe solution? Sure. So, so first of all, you know, I think this is all part of cryptography and cryptography is really an enabling technology that, that we use every day, most of the time without noticing it. You know, cryptography allows to establish trust and confidentiality in the digital world. So it's, it's a very fundamental technology and it's, it's in front of a challenge, which is the fact that a new type of computer, quantum computers, will actually change the threat profile. The, the solutions that we use today uh, will not be secure anymore once a quantum computer becomes available. And so we need to move to a quantum safe uh, infrastructure. So a new type of solutions that are resilient to quantum computing. And, and that's important because as you mentioned, uh, there's a possibility for adversary to store, to, to, uh, to intercept and store data now, keep it encrypted until um, quantum computers become available and, and, and then uh, use them to decrypt. And so it's important to start early enough to, to, to deploy these solutions. And there are broadly speaking two families. One is QKD, where the idea is to use the laws of quantum physics uh, you know, in a, in a good way to protect information and essentially to use the fact that in quantum, if you, if you uh, intercept, if you observe something, you modify it. And, and so you can do, if you do communications at the quantum level, use this property and you can see if there's an inter interception on a network. So that's one, one, one approach and that's what we focus on at IDQ. Yeah. And the, the other approach is PQC. So it's post quantum cryptography. It's a new type, new families of mathematics-based crypto uh, cryptographic algorithms. And, and these, they're supposed to be based on problems that are not vulnerable to quantum computer. Now, the challenge is that there's no proof that these problems will remain strong in the future. And so uh, PQC may offer some security today, but what, what security does it offer in the long term? This is still an open question. And, and based on this, at IDQ, we really think that we need to combine both QKD and PQC in order to have a full quantum safe infrastructure. Yeah, so thank you for sharing that perspective. Uh, terrific. Appreciate it. Let's talk about uh, IDQ's QKD solutions. Uh, so the Clavis QKD system and quantum key management systems, QKMS, 
allow users to intelligently and efficiently route keys through a network. So please tell our listeners how this works. And uh, if you can, share any real-world client examples, maybe large-scale deployments where, where you're doing this. So, so QKD, as I mentioned already, is an optical communication technology where signals is sent at the quantum level in order to take advantage of this principle of quantum physics that observation means perturbation. What, what, what this means is that, uh, well, it offers uh, long-term security based on the laws of physics, but it's also a physical layer technology, which means point-to-point, -point, essentially. You know, you, you have an emitter, you have a receiver, and you can secure the connection between this emitter and the receiver. That's great. There, are, there were sort of some first applications of QKD were based on point-to-point -point applications. But now, if you want to build a more complex uh, application, you need to to assemble from these secure links a network. And that's where the quantum key management system comes into play. It is an, a software solution or software platform that is overlaid on top of QKD links in order to manage uh, uh, connectivity and secure connectivity between any nodes in a network and, and to build uh, complex applications. And an example of this um, is a, a network that was deployed by uh, our partner, SK Telecom, in South Korea, where the South Korean government wanted to secure connectivity between uh, nodes that are where, where um, government offices are located, uh, about 30 nodes that cover the whole uh, peninsula of, of South Korea. And so we deployed uh, QKD links, uh, uh, about 30 QKD links in the shape of two rings, uh, two connected rings. And on top of these QKD links, we installed this uh, software platform for key management in order to make sure that any node, even though they're not directly connected, any node in the network can talk to each other securely. And uh, this uh, network that was deployed in 2001 put in production in, sorry, 2021, sorry, not 2001, and, and put in production in, in 2022 is probably one of the most complex and most advanced networks uh, based on QKD uh, in the world. Wow, terrific. So, Gregoire, well, your portfolio also includes um, a quantum, quantum random number generator offering called Qantas QRNG. I want to ask you what makes IQ, uh, IDQ's QRNG solution different and uh, maybe can you share an example of usage? Where is this being applied? Quantum physics, in addition to the fact that observation means perturbation, another feature of quantum physics is the, the fact that it's intrinsically random. There are some processes in quantum physics where you cannot predict the outcome, but you can predict the probability of getting a certain outcome. And um, the, the idea, it's, it's it's obvious to use this to generate high quality random numbers. And, uh, you know, it may sound like a trivial task to generate random numbers, but it's actually difficult. Computer is typically deterministic. And so if you don't have some kind of source of randomness, uh, you cannot, uh, it's difficult to, to generate um, random numbers in a, in a, in a computer. And, um, but, but random numbers are very useful in many applications, including security to generate uh, encryption keys, passwords, and things like this. Yeah, just wondering where, yeah, where it's being applied. Um, fascinating. Uh, 
The, you know, when we started IDQ, this was actually our first product because it's, it's relatively simple compared to QKD. And the first application at the time, which was kind of which surprised us, but was uh, in, in, in the online gambling, you know, at the time in, in the early 2000s, a lot of uh, games were moving online, like online poker, online casinos, and they needed, the games were running on servers, and they needed a source of entropy, a source of randomness. And so we, 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 it's a market that we found by chance without uh, anticipating this. But more, more, more seriously, I guess, the application for this is, is in security. Everywhere where you need security, cybersecurity, you will use cryptography. And if you use cryptography, you need keys. And if you need keys, how do you generate them? And so an example that I could mention is the fact that we have developed with Samsung, again, from, for the South Korean market, uh, a family of uh, high security smartphones that are actually include a quantum random number generator in the form factor of a chipset. I should mention that uh, you know we started with a, with a big appliance and uh, we we're now at the third generation of QRNG, which is the size of a you know few millimeter by a few millimeter chipset, hmm. which allows to integrate it into into a quantum phone. That's an example of a, of, of, of an application. I should say it's probably one of the first mass market applications of quantum technologies. Well, fantastic. And the fact you've got it down to that s small a form factor, I mean, implications about other ap other applications uh, uh, seems tremendous. I mean, yeah, th there's no limits to the applications of this type of technology. Let's talk about uh, single photon sensing solutions. Your ID Cube was awarded gold level honorary status in 2020, and the Ultrafast and PNR superconducting nanowire detectors won the 2022 Innovation Award in the Quantum Technologies category. So congratulations. Tell me about this aspect of your portfolio and how clients are using this solution. Yeah, so these products are also part of our history. You know, when we started IDQ in 2001, which was very, very early for quantum technologies, Yes. there, there were no investors, there was no market for QKD, and so we had to bootstrap. And bootstrapping meant finding revenues early on. And so we, we asked ourselves, well, what could we sell? And uh, we had colleagues from universities that wanted to do the same experiments that we had been doing at the University of Geneva. So we said, okay, what's difficult? Well, single photon detection. And so we developed a single photon detector that we started selling uh, to, to these customers. And so over the years, the technology has been improved. We started by using um, uh, uh, detectors based on avalanche photodiodes. Now you mentioned uh, superconducting nanowire detectors. The performance is really amazing, these detectors. You know, when I was a PhD student at the University of Geneva, it was my dream to have to, you know, this kind of detectors. And now 20 years later, they are available. And, and so in general, they're used by researchers in academic labs, in some industrial labs also, that need to have the ultimate sensitivity in terms of light detection, so detect photons one by one uh, and, uh, and do that with the best signal-to-noise ratio, best timing resolution. Yeah, amazing capability. So these technologies we've been talking about are also needed to create you know, building blocks for what's been described as the quantum internet, right? And sort of broader potential to unlock capabilities of things like a globally distributed uh, quantum computing network and certainly viable quantum communication. So what's your vision for how this might evolve and eventually be deployed? Uh, QKD could be uh, qualified as quantum communication 1.0. You know, it's a simple type of protocol 
where you generate a, a single photon, you send it and you detect it. There, there are alternative protocols that use the property of entanglement, uh, where you generate a pair of photons that have this very special property of entanglement. And if you, if you do this, and if you have some, some additional components, you can then build chains of entangled links that enable to build long-range quantum networks, end-to-end -end quantum networks, uh, in order to connect quantum computers, also to do uh, secure communications. And um, it's, a, it's a very promising technology, but we're still at a very early days. You know, it's, it's, it's still, uh, we believe, in the realm of academic research. And so what IDQ, our vision is that we are a quantum communication company. We will be active in the field of quantum internet. But right now, we feel that what people in, in this uh, area must do is build the key bricks in order to be able to, to, to build, uh, to do the demonstration of these uh, technologies. And so this includes good detectors. This is our focus. Entangled, entangled photon sources, quantum memories. And so there are a set of building blocks that needs to be built before we can talk about these advanced applications. So, Gregoire, our listeners are always interested in partnerships, right? So quantum is being developed as a community at, at a meta level, right? And uh, you have some really interesting, uh, wide-ranging tech partners that you work with. In preparing for our conversation, I you know, made a, a quick list. Strategic partnerships include... Sienna, Hitachi, Juniper, Nokia, Fortinet, and Talos, just to name a few. So how do you partner with these other companies and say what parts of the solution do, does each one provide? Quantum key distribution, QKD, is about securely distributing encryption keys. And so that means that, uh, you know, it's not the full solution. It's only part of the solution. And in order to, 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 for this technology to be useful, it must be connected and interfaced to solutions that do encryption, that use encryption keys in order to secure uh, data. And typically, so, so uh, typically there are uh, companies that build telecom equipment, and now more and more these uh, type of equipment include encryption capabilities. And so the, the names that you've mentioned are actually telecom equipment vendors that, that transport data, but also encrypt data. And I, I must say that a couple of years ago, the first practical standard in the field of quantum technologies it was put forward by uh, a, an institute called Etsy, and it's the so-called Etsy 014 standard. It was published, and it's a standard that defines the interface between QKD hardware or QKD equipment and telecom equipment. And that means that it became easier for QKD vendors to build a standard interface and for telecom equipment vendors to actually integrate this interface so that there could be a connection between the, the two equipments. And that was a very important milestone for the community uh, in, in uh, facilitating the adoption of this technology. Yes, thank you for sharing that uh, information on the standard. Wow, very interesting. I want to ask about sort of adoption, if you will, of these, these kinds of solutions. Certainly governments are focused on protecting military and other sensitive data, I uh, would guess companies in verticals such as healthcare, financial services, and legal are also beginning to plan for what's being called the Y2Q moment, right, when quantum computers can crack current RSA encryption. But I want to get your take, since you're in the field doing this every day, are there certain verticals you're seeing being more proactive, say, than others when addressing this impending threat? So, so I think, you know, 
what's really important is to understand that there is this, there's going to be this retroactive vulnerability based on the harvest now, decrypt later attack that you mentioned earlier. And so organization must um, qualify the lifetime of the information that they, they process and, and then decide if they need to move uh, or not. And so typically early adopters of quantum safe solution at large, that, that includes QKD, are organizations that have requirements for long-term security and where they also need to have a high level of security. And, you know, essentially you've mentioned the main early adopter segments, governments are clearly one, financial services, also healthcare, typically in some countries, typically, for example, Germany, there are some requirements in terms of how long information about patients Personal information must be protected. It must be protected for more than the life expectancy of a patient. So we're talking about tens of years. And so in that kind of solution, that's really the kind of use cases where you need to think ahead and use quantum safe solutions. What about geographic focus? I mean, do you think it, are you seeing it differing between emerging economies and say mature markets and how, I guess, emerging economies would have to be you know, aware of where they've focused the spend. So maybe this is not uh, a priority. What are you seeing in the market? So, so in general, I think if you, if we talk about quantum technologies in general, uh, it, it's very much spread out uh, around the world, the, the, the investments uh, and, you know, US, Europe, Asia. Now, quantum communication is a bit special because Asia was really a first mover uh, in this field. And it's interesting because the science was not done in, in Asia. It was done in Europe, it was done in the US, but in terms of adoption, it, it started in Asia with China first, but China is a bit of a special market. You know, now it's a bit cut off from, uh, from other markets, but then Korea, Japan, Singapore, they're really early adopters and they're well ahead of, of other geographies. Europe is coming as a second wave, in a sense, of adopting this technology. And until recently in the US, uh, people were very careful about, about quantum technology, somehow placing all their bets in uh, PQC uh, and, and not wanting to consider that uh, a hybrid uh, approach. And, and I think this is gradually changing. We see signs that um, uh, US uh, entities are also starting to look at quantum communications, which I think is a, is a very wise move because it makes a lot of sense to, to combine uh, these solutions. Yeah. So to follow on the sort of uh, discussion around technology being adopted um, in Asia, maybe sooner than uh, other parts of the world, I read that on June 5th, ID Quantique and Singtel, Asia's leading communications technology group, announced a partnership to establish a robust quantum ecosystem in Singapore and the region. So tell our listeners about this project. What is the roadmap? What are the anticipated deliverables? So, so this project is actually in response to um, a request for proposal from the Singaporean government uh, in order to build a quantum safe network in Singapore. And Somehow Singapore is a, is a nice market because of the geographic size. You know, it, it's it's easier to start in a country like Singapore than in the U.S. That's that's great, 
And so, so um, the, the government wants uh, this uh, network to be deployed. Of course, Singtel, being the incumbent telecom operator, has the mission to introduce new te technologies to Singapore. And they, they approached us and decided to, to, we decided to work together to build this network. And this network will essentially consist of a backbone, which is a, a ring that will cover the main business areas in Singapore. And, and then on top of, or in addition to this backbone, there will be access links that will allow uh, users to connect to the backbone. And these access links will come gradually based on um, adoption by certain users, certain companies uh, of, of the of this, uh, service that will be offered by Singapore. And, and, and it's an interesting approach because uh, somehow before, until now, 2KD always had to be um, uh, to be deployed by an end user for their own network, you know, independently for their own usage. And here the idea is that the telecom operator wants to offer uh, QKD and quantum safe communications as a service to, um, to businesses, which means that it will make adoption much easier. That's very exciting. I mean, Singapore, definitely forward thinking and a growing quantum community there, right? Um, great support. Tell me about um, quantum consortiums or industry alliances that you've joined. I know there are many around the world. Some, uh, you know, established longer uh, ago than others. But wondering, you know, which ones you're participating in, and um, you know what what the value is, what your role might be. So, so these um, alliances are are great in in helping in in bringing actors together in order to increase the maturity of the market because, you know, there's still a lot of um, education to be done on the market. People know more and more about quantum computers, about the challenges that they will create on top of the, of the great opportunities that they will open. But nevertheless, uh, it's still a, a, a very a significant task to, to provide information. And so that's an area where, where it makes a lot of sense to, to have all the actors together and for a long time, IDQ was alone, so it was difficult to create an alliance. Uh, but but now there is an emerging quantum communication industry, and so bringing the, the players together uh, is very useful. Um, and, and of course, another um, another area is also to lobby governments to take into account um, these new technologies and their impact uh, and uh, in, in the regulations as well as in the national innovation programs. So these are the kind of tasks that the, the, these groups are, are doing. We're involved in QUIC, which is the European Quantum Industry Consortium. We're involved in the US, since we have a US uh, base also, with QEDC, uh, as well as some other uh, local organizations. I must say, uh, one of the challenges is the fact that there, there, are, I would say maybe too many of these, and it's difficult for a small company like us to to really be efficient and, and productive in all of these groups. Yeah, and no, thank you for sharing that perspective. I wanted to ask you if there's, you know, an area of focus that you think would accelerate the adoption of quantum technologies in general, and maybe quantum com communication in particular. I would say one. There's one very important. Um, area where where the quantum communication industry must still uh, work more. It's the area of uh, certification of, of QKD technology. You know, security technology in general 
uh, it's very difficult for end users to judge whether a product is secure or not, whether it does what it promises. And so the way the industry has solved this so far is by having certification. You have a specialized lab that comes, does some tests, uh, provides results, and, and then uh, the, the product can be certified. And, and, and QKD is still at the very beginning of this. Uh, there, there are some certification programs in some countries. Again, here I'm going to mention Korea. Uh, Korea announced in April of this year the world's first QKD certification program, hmm. which started and, and, and this takes a, a few months, so it's, it hasn't been completed by any vendor yet, but nevertheless, um, th there is this possibility. Europe is also setting up a, a program for certification, and that's very important because it will allow end users to adopt uh, QKD products with more peace of mind and without having to do their own full due diligence on the technology side. Uh, I want to turn to a topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is around workforce. Uh, I want to get your take on the challenges facing a company like IDQ and finding talent. Like, how do you go about recruiting for your company? Do you have affiliations with any specific universities, certainly where you went to school there in Geneva? Um, I'm wondering if there are specific roles in in various disciplines that are harder to fill maybe than others. What's special about quantum technologies is the fact that it's very multidisciplinary. You, you need to understand the quantum aspects of the technology, but at the end of the day, you, you cannot just be a physicist. You need engineers, you need, you need to, people to do the software, the firmware, the electronic design related to a product. And, and so um, one of the challenges is that you, you either take physicists and, and, and train them in engineering, or you take um, engineers and teach them about quantum physics. And, that, that's still uh, that, that's what we've been doing. We have a close collaboration with the University of Geneva, so it's a direct source of talent for physicists. But but in terms of engineers, we we essentially uh, take classical engineers, I should say, uh, if I, if I may, and then uh, make them quantum engineers, train them. Now now there are more and more programs in Switzerland. Uh, uh, which is where we're based. Uh, there's uh, ETH in Zurich has a program, a quantum engineering program, and we're hopeful that these programs, while they don't really, uh, they're still very new, but we're hopeful that they will be, uh, they will provide access to to engineers with the right uh, skill sets. And again, I think I just want to mention. I mean, these are, you know, you're a business, you're a company. These are all these quantum companies are um, driving toward attributable revenue and improved productivity and efficiency, but there are people needed in disciplines other than physics or engineering or software, right? So, for example, I've had great interaction with people in marketing and PR. And, exactly. Exactly. And you're you're right. So that's a good point, actually. I, I would say for, for a lot of the roles, you know, whether you do quantum hardware or you do uh, classical hardware, you know, whether it's quality, whether it's manufacturing, doesn't make such a big difference. But, but you mentioned one area where you're right, ma uh, marketing typically is an area where you, you need a good understanding of the technical side, which, which is challenging, but also be not be a, a, just a pure uh, scientist. And that's a great uh, example. It's also a, a definitely an area where it's difficult to find the right uh, talents. Yeah, I think of UX design as well. I mean, people are touching this stuff. Someone's got to figure out human-computer interaction, right? How do you uh, create a des design something that people are comfortable manipulating? Yep. Just, yep. just you know, big picture around business challenges. 
So, Gregor, we're coming to the end of our conversation. I always like to um, ask my guests to share their vision of where, say, quantum computing and quantum communication, quantum networks even might be in, say, three to five to seven years. And more broadly, you know, what kind of impact do you think it's going to have on how we live and work? Ask you to look into your crystal ball for a moment. Yeah, that's always a difficult question. But I think, you know, <laughs> uh, by the end of the decade, I believe that uh, quantum communication will be widely adopted. So the first type of applications, you know, um, QKD will be widely adopted. There will be regional QKD networks. These regional QKD networks will be connected uh, globally through quantum satellites, you know, satellites doing quantum key distribution. Uh, and so there will be global um, quantum safe networks based on QKD, which will also uh, integrate for some part of the connectivity, PQC or other solutions. I think I'm, I'm definitely confident of this. You know, one change that I've noticed over the past 12 months is the fact that for the first time when we talk to some companies, we hear people say, well, you know, actually, we've received the mandate from our board of directors to be quantum safe by 2028 or some, some dates. You know, that's a yeah. new change. Somehow the quantum topic, the quantum safe topic has reached the boardroom. And, and that's a sign that there will be a, 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 a more adoption of, the, of this kind of technologies in the next few years. And so, so I'm very confident of the, of the level of adoption of these technologies uh, in three, five, seven years. Well, Greg, well, we've come to the end. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's uh, It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to invite people to follow you and the company on LinkedIn. Uh, point them to the website. It's uh, idquantique.com. I noticed you also have a uh, handle on X, formerly Twitter, at idquantique. And uh, I want to thank you for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening. Please share this podcast on social media channels to increase the impact of my conversation with Gregoire. Listen to my other podcast episodes if you haven't already. And please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. This has been a production of Inside Quantum Technology. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.